Ayanna Seeley is a mental performance coach, well-known on Broadway as a triple threat dancer, actor, and singer, having performed in Disney's The Lion King and the Stratford Shakespearean Festival. Ayanna now incorporates her unique experience as a Broadway performer and masters in performance psychology to help artists, high-level executives, and athletes achieve peak performance. Listen as Ayanna imparts her personal experience becoming a world-renowned performer despite an ongoing battle with lymphedema to help others realize their potential. Growing up, I always wanted to see more people who look like me that were successful. Can I afford to take a risk to follow my dreams? We are excited to bring you the Make Your Mark podcast, hosted by philanthropist Kim Niles. The Make Your Mark podcast allows you to hear personal stories of resilience by professionals and public figures of color. Our guests unapologetically share their triumphs, lessons learned, and how they found balance in their experiences. Tune in to equip yourself with strategies and coping mechanisms on how to boldly make your mark. Subscribe and listen now. Hello, Ayanna. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm well. I'm well in these times, you know, as best as we can be, just taking it one day at a time. But I'm well. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, Ayanna is a mental performance coach. Ayanna, I would love for you to tell our viewers exactly what that is. Right. So a mental performance coach deals with, I mean, it sounds pretty um simple, but the mental side of performance. So whether you're an athlete, whether you're an artist, an executive, um, teachers in the classroom, it could be actually anyone because we're all called on at some point to quote unquote perform. Um, and it really dives into, you know, performance anxiety, um, motivation, goal setting, concentration skills, Uh, My work takes it a bit deeper and I really focus on the subconscious blocks that prevent us from going as deeply as we would like. So we often say, oh, I want to do this. I want to accomplish this. And we're not actually going after our goals. We're not actually doing what we say we want to be doing. Um, And often there is a reason there is like something uh, like a pain point almost or something that happened when you were much younger or not even that much younger, um, which has caused you to subconsciously block yourself from moving in the direction of the goals that you say that you want. So um, how did I get here? So I actually started as an artist myself. I'm an actor, singer, dancer, dancer, actor, singer, put it more in in the right order. And um, I did that professionally for 11 years before returning to uh, finish the bachelor degree that I had started many, many years prior. Uh, I'm a person who kind of follows my intuition. I follow where I feel like the universe is leading me. If doors keep closing in one direction, I feel like, okay, it doesn't mean that it will be closed forever, 
but it's signaling for me to go in this direction right now because I need maybe some tools over on uh, over on this side before I head back to that closed door. So it started happening where I was performing and I did the Lion King. I studied at the Alvin Ailey School straight out of high school. Then I came back, tried to start a degree in computer science. I don't know. I don't know. That was that was to please my parents for sure. And then I, I failed miserably. And I can say that very easily now. It was not easy for about 10 years to even vocalize that I almost like they asked me to take a year off of school um, to sort myself out. In other words, I was suspended from school because I was doing so poorly. And I knew that this was like such a defeating moment, but also such a gift because all I wanted to do was be on stage. Like I knew that in my heart. And so I now had a, a, a like a, a road to go down now. So I got an agent. I started performing. I I booked the Lion King. I booked the Stratford Festival. Um, lots of film and TV, commercials, movies, different things. And then I just stopped booking gigs. Like it was just so, it was like it came to a screeching halt. Like different shows were coming into Toronto. Usually I, you, you book them just you're being called in six times over and over and not booking that. So eventually I went back to school and I decided that the best fit at the time before knowing that I was going to specialize in performance psychology was psychology because psychology is, um, you know, analysis, personality analysis, et cetera. Um, and acting is character analysis. And it just felt like such a nice way to blend my academia with my arts. And so I started with statistics, like one, one, one course, one semester. And I said, if you do well, then I give you Ayana. Ayana gives Ayana permission to go on this journey of doing your degree. And I did well. And so I started and I was out of my peer group. I was 15 years older than most people that I was in school with. But I knew that if I wanted to bridge the gap from where I was to where I wanted to be, I had to sacrifice. And so I went back and I did my bachelor's. And then I decided that I would do my master's in performance psychology. And that was because I always wanted to have, I wanted, I want to always be a fully expressed individual. I'm an artist. I'm a creative. I'm also an academic and I did not, I knew when I was about 15 that I did not want to sacrifice one for the other. I knew that I always wanted the two things to be actively working in my life. Cause when I was at Alvin Ailey, I really missed academia. And when I was in, you know, school, I missed performing. Right. So I always wanted those two things to, to work in tandem. And, and it just was performance psychology was the perfect fit for me. Um, so I get to still work with artists, although I work with executives a lot and I work with I've worked with athletes. Um, when I work with artists, it's it's like coming back home. You know, it's like where I what I know, um, what I've done, um, where my heart lies. So I get to express both sides and work with people work with people's potential, work with people's capacity, work with people's, the, the sides of them that they don't even know are possible. 
to come in to, to fruition. You know, that's, I'm so passionate about that. Like that can bring me to tears, seeing somebody really step into their, um, the fullness of who they are. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically my journey of how I got there. It wasn't easy. I will tell you that there's a lot of mental, like going back and forth. I remember in the year that I decided to go back to school, that was 2008. My aunt had a um, conversation with me, I think ed- ed- edged on by my father, but anyway, because um, <laughs> he knew he couldn't have the co- same conversation then. She, he couldn't have the same effect that she could have had, right? Um, and so she told me, you know, auntie so-and-so, she was a dancer and she did her degree. And I knew what they were, what they were coming from. Like, you know, you've got this ability as well remember that and maybe start looking in if you're not working as an artist then maybe start looking into doing that degree that you started many years ago and I remember walking into U of T Scarborough campus and this woman that I will never forget for the rest of my life Joy Jones she was this woman who held me as I wept inconsolably as I shared with her that I wanted to start black school again, but how scared I was because I had failed the first time. And she said, Ayana, one day at a time, one course at a time, one semester at a time, one year at a time. And she just put me at ease. And I just remembered that. And I just held on to that. And even in the moments that were tough, I just kept one foot in front of the other. And if anything, that experience really taught me about perseverance and that you can accomplish anything if you don't take your foot off the gas. And I don't mean go at full full throttle. I mean, you know, if you don't stop, if you stop, then you're almost guaranteeing yourself that you're not going to accomplish your dreams because you're not putting forth anything into them. But if you take a pause and go again and go and then take a pause, because we need to rest as well, um, but we don't stop completely, the chances of us accomplishing what we set out to accomplish is far greater than if we stop completely. You know, so it really taught me that, you know, there were moments where I wanted to give up for sure. It was very, very difficult. Um, when you haven't been studying in a particular way, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll say it this way as well. Um, I was in school for three years. And then in 2011, I was asked to do a dance show, my first dance show in years. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. I mean, this came out of the sky. It was like, I, my soul needed it. But I went from being one of the people in the room who picked up the choreography immediately to to going right when they were going left, going up when they were going down. I couldn't pick up the choreography because I wasn't using my brain in that way. And the brain is exercised, right? It's strengthened the more that we use it. And if we stop using it, then it those pathways weaken a bit, right? So it was quite fascinating. It was like, oh my God, I cannot pick up this choreography. I don't know what I'm doing but I know I can dance, right? And it was the same for the academia. When I went back to school, it was very hard. I could barely read a paragraph in like three hours. I would just be sitting there. 
you know? So it was, it was a, it was tough at times, but it really showed me, um, if you don't, if you just keep going, like you will push forward, you will gain momentum, you will get stronger. And then eventually you will succeed if you don't stop, you know, if that's the path that's meant for you as well. So yeah. I was up here. What a journey. <laughs> wow. And I could see you're, it's like you're reliving it. I'm looking in your eyes and yeah. I can see that you're literally reliving those moments. Yeah. What was it like being in Lion King? Mm. Mm. Oh, wow. I, I haven't been asked that in a while, that specific question. Um, it was magical. When I worked at the Hudson's Bay Company in the shoe department a few years prior to that, <laughs> um, one of my friends, everyone knew that I was a dancer and that I had been to Alvin Ailey and now I was back home and sort of trying to figure myself out. One of my friends who worked with us, um, he came up to me and he just handed me a, a CD and I'll tell you how far back that was, handed me a CD and it said, the lion, Disney's The Lion came on Broadway said, this show just came out on Broadway. I think you might like it. I think you might like this, this CD. So I went home. I listened to it. And in my mind, this was 99. I said, I'm going to be in this show. Not sure why. But as I said, intuition, right? I finally got, I, I didn't have an agent at that point. I was in school at that point, actually. And then we know I flunked out. So then I, I got an agent soon after that, and I auditioned for The Lion King in 2000. I didn't get in. Um, I wasn't singing. I didn't know I went. That wasn't my training. I had the best dance audition because it was just right up my alley, like kind of Ailey style, ballet, modern, very technical. Great, great, amazing. They were looking at me for certain parts. It kept making me do different things over. Didn't book it. Told my agent, okay, but you know I'm going to do that show. And he sort of went, ah. And I said, yeah. Anyway, I felt horrible, but I felt convicted at the same time. Like, no, this is happening. A year later, got a call from the Mervishes, who had chosen uh, maybe eight of us from prior auditions to be trained. To, for the audition that was coming up in Toronto because they loved our dancing, but they knew that we weren't prepared as singers and whatnot. So we got free training for a week. And then the audition was on September 10th, 2001. And you know what happened the next day, September 11th, 2001. So it's always such a right there for me. Um, September 9th, 2001, I had laryngitis. My voice was gone. Like none, no voice. I knelt down, I cried. And then I got up and I was like, no. I got up, walked down the street to the audition because we had just moved downtown. And another fantastic dance audition. Went to sing, not so wonderful. Then they asked, can you sing Amazing Grace? Which I had never sung in my life, but I said, yes. <laughs> and then a voice came. A voice came. Like I was kind of like this. They were like this. A voice just came. The lyrics came. And I walked out of there. 
long story. There's a whole story of how I booked that. But the Lion King, the whole lead up was magic. You know, there's always, there's up, there are ups and downs in every experience, but the totality of it, when you walk away from something, gives you a sense of what the thing was. And it was magical. It was my first major gig. It was an almost all black cast, which was beautiful. And I didn't know how beautiful it would have been because I had never done another gig. So I didn't have another vantage point of being the only black person in many productions, which I then went on to be in the, at the Stratford Festival. It was culture. It was um, a, a melding of culture, the South African culture, because you have to have a number of South Africans in the show, in every show in the, in the world. Um, so I learned a lot about the South African culture. There were people from the States. There were Caribbean people there, you know, um, I got to sit in the, the orchestra, so I was a swing, which meant that I didn't perform every single night. So on the days that I didn't perform, I would go sit in the orchestra for two and a half hours and just feel the show and experience the show from the music side, because I'm a big music person too. Um, all of it was just magical. Like those were such special times, you know, even costumes, the the sets, the the story, the music, I can still listen to the Lion King soundtrack and like weep, just cry. It's just, it's just such a, a deep hitting, like guttural heart. It's deep. It goes deep. It was magic. What would you say performing has taught you? Oh, performing has taught me. I think performing has taught me to live to take chances, to be courageous. That's the, that's it. Performing has taught me not to be courageous. It's taught me that there is beauty in courage. It's taught me that, you know, I mean, there's, so there's an aspect of it as well for me that um, has to do with um, a condition that I have um, called lymphedema. And we'll talk more about that later. But it's taught me resilience. It's taught me um, that I can be the fullness of myself. You know, it's taught me to, I think courage is the, is the, is the major one. That's what, because every time you get on stage, it's an act of courage. How did you feel about, how did you deal with the voices in your head of potential judgment of being judged on stage? Hmm. You know, I don't think that I felt that until that show in 2011. The show in 2011, when I had been in school for a few years and I went back, that was the first time that I felt anything close to that. Before that, it was complete abandon on stage. Stage was just like, I can't even describe what would, it was like, it's not that I would transform completely, but it was just this place to be completely and utterly free. Um, and my interaction with the audience would be more to experience their awe. Like that's more of what I would detect. In 2011, I started to be very conscious of the fact that, oh my gosh, I'm on stage. Oh my gosh, they're audience members. Wow, they're so close. They're looking at, like, that's what 
started to happen in 2011, which was very interesting, which I think is the precursor to performance anxiety, which a lot of people experience much earlier. I didn't really experience that, um, to be honest, until later in my in my performing career. And even then, you sort of, for me, it was more of a fleeting thought. And then it would be like, ah, because I'd be so excited to get on stage because stage is such a, I don't know, just like home for me. So, so yeah. it was almost like an alter ego potentially when you were younger. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. A lot of performers, you know, I've heard a lot of my, you know, even friends or just people who are like, I just had big energy and I was told, be quiet, be quiet. You're so loud. Are you, you know, so stage is this place where you can actually be yourself, be fully expressed as opposed to change. It's like you get to be that person that you don't get to be in real life oftentimes, right? It's like, put that kid in theater school, put that kid in like gymnastics, like get that, they need to get their energy out because the parents at home don't know what to do with them, right? When you put them on stage and it's like, so I think it's, I think it was just, it was more of that. It was like, you know, well, for me, I I talked too much at home, like didn't eat my food, always the last person to get up from the dinner table, leaving me there. So for me, it was like, put that child in drama, put that child in dance, put that child in whatever. She needs to get that energy. She needs to have it be expressed. So that's, I think, more of what I've, more of what I witnessed with, with um, people that I know and myself. It's funny when you have those children, I was one of definitely one of those two where it's like, she talks a lot. She's so outgoing. She always wants to do something. It's where do you channel that energy? And I love what you said, where it's like, put that child in dance, put her in gymnastics, get her on the stage, let her exert that energy because those are unique skills that Mm -hmm. sometimes are overlooked and you can be seen as too much versus people honoring that skill set that you do have. Looking to consolidate your debt? In the market to purchase your first home? Interested in acquiring an investment property? Look no further. More Freedom is here to serve you. We aim to furnish our clients with the power and the confidence over their finances and a sense of accomplishment of taking the first step to get there. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at I Want More Freedom. And you can always connect with us via our website at morefreedom.ca. Let's take it back a little bit. Tell us about your journey with lymphedema. Yes. So as I'd mentioned to you earlier, I um, so my journey starts at about the age of seven, where in Trinidad, a car drove over my foot. So, you know, I say that my feet have a story, and I do believe that. At the age of 14, we had moved to Toronto, and I noticed that there was some kind of like little, it's called pitting, where you kind of press the skin, and the tissue kind of stays like inverted, like dipped in, and you know that there's extra fluid there. And I was like, oh, that's weird. But then it went away. And then I was in at Alvin Ailey. At the age of 19 and I got home one day and my laces like the imprint of my laces was on the top of my foot 
like right down my foot. And I started bawling because I was like, okay, something is wrong here. So I got back to Toronto, had a, a consult with a vascular surgeon, and he said, you know, yeah, you have lymphedema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's fine, you know? I'm like, uh, well, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean exactly? They didn't have a lot of information. That was a long time ago. Um, they didn't have as much information as they do now. And so it was like, well, you got to get a pair of support stockings and whatnot. So, I mean, all of that was definitely challenging. Um, but I didn't know that I would then go on to like have infections. So when I was in, um, when I was at Alvin Ailey, we danced in bare feet a lot because of modern, you know, Graham technique, Horton technique, Dunham technique, all done in bare feet. So when you dance in bare feet, you get these little cuts under your toes, like right here. And usually, you know, you just tape them up or whatever. Well, with lymphedema, because you have this pooled um, fluid, which the purpose of the lymphatic system is to wash away any bacteria, anything that's unnecessary in your system, the lymphatic system drains that into the venous system and carries that out of your, I don't know the rest of the physiology, but that's how it works. And so I would get infections because the bacteria would not be then washed away. It would just sort of sit in, it sits in your feet or wherever, whatever part of your body. And, um, and then all of a sudden I'd wake up, I'd have these little red spots and they'd be itchy or, you know, and then you have to go on antibiotics. So that became very challenging. That started happening and I dealt with it, um, happening. I guess it happened. I'm just trying to remember. I think I stayed for another year until I realized, you know, this isn't, I can't keep going on antibiotics. I can't do this. So I got back to Toronto. Luckily. Um, because I was being so active, it really helped with my condition because a big part of managing lymphedema is exercise and making sure that the muscles, the muscles act as a pump to help pump the lymph fluid out of your extremities, right? And so this is this was actually a blessing without me knowing it. I didn't I didn't know that really, that that would have been how many years later, actually a really good thing for my feet and my, it's mostly my feet and my ankles for me. Um, so, but aesthetically, you know, it's like, sometimes it's hot, it's summer, you want to wear your cute sandals or your cute outfit and your feet are swollen. Or sometimes you're wanting to wear your boots in the winter and they're not zipping up this time because your feet are swollen. You know, so there are different aspects that are challenging. People stare. Um, I wouldn't say mine were particularly uncomfortable. I know other people who have it um, a lot worse. And so it's a lot more discomfort, maybe some pain, some thickening of the skin. Mine is not like that, but it definitely, you know, can get uncomfortable. If I get bitten by a mosquito, oh my God, that's the worst fire in my foot. It feels like my foot is literally has been lit on fire. It's not fun at all. So um, that's been that's been challenging. But fortunately, the shows that I did after being diagnosed, like the Lion King and Stratford, most of that was done with stockings or shoes or, you know, whatever. My feet were covered. So 
it's like I got these perfect shows to match my, you know, that wouldn't sort of showcase my condition. And um, so I was fortunate in that way. But yeah, it's definitely taught me about resilience and just having to push through and having to push through people like calling you out in the middle of like a gathering. Like, oh my gosh, your feet are so swollen. It's like, I know that. Thank you. (laughs) You know, I'm aware. I'm aware. I can feel it. So I think, um, and I told you that I've just sort of been much more vocal and I'm I'm in this impassioned place of wanting to share wanting to, you know, enlighten people and, and, and increase awareness about, I mean, just that even, just even the sensitivity of dealing with someone with a condition, like how you would approach that person, the kinds of things you would say, um, you know, because you just don't know, maybe someone's not having the best day and you come and, you know, it, it just little things like that. But it's definitely taught me about strength, about courage, about resilience, for sure. For sure. What would you say has been some of your coping mechanisms and strategies in dealing with this? To be honest, I think that until recently, I I want to say I pretend. Obviously, I didn't. You can't pretend that you don't have them, but I just wouldn't focus on it. Like I wouldn't. I would, you know, if my feet were swollen, I'm wearing something long. Like. I'm wearing a long skirt. I'm wearing like a one piece, whatever, jumpsuit or whatever, you know, um, just to not draw attention to. I think that was more of how I dealt with it. I coped by just, I mean, there were times when I would you have an infection, like I had a bad infection where I had to have IV meds for a week in a bag, like going into the hospital every day to have my IV meds changed. And those moments are very tough and require a lot of like, you know, just kind of meditating and facing it. I think facing it as well in those moments. So there were moments where it's sort of like, I'm not going to focus on it. I'm not going to pour all this attention into it. But at the same time, it's not going away. So this is part of who I am. So in those moments, I had to be like honest about how I felt. It sucks. It's it's not ideal, but it's not the also not the worst case scenario in life. Um, even for people who have it a lot, you know, more advanced than I have it, you know, I mean, they're still able to work out and be, I mean, I've met some people over the past couple of weeks where I'm like, you are ripped because you know, you understand the importance of self-care. Another thing, self-care. That's another way that I coped with it. I make sure that I'm you know, taking care of my skin, making sure your skin's moisturized, making sure that you're doing your like dry brushing on your skin like this, which helps to move the lymph. I know no one can see, you can see me, but, (laughs) but, um, you know, just ensuring, um, elevating my feet always, like I'll be in a gathering and you just see me on the couch, feet tucked under, but that's because I don't want to hang my feet down kind of thing. Um, I sleep with, my feet on several pillows every single night. And that's been for like 20 something years. So, you know, it's just managing it because there's no cure per se. And it's managing your mind around it as well, because there's no cure. So there has to be that point of acceptance, right? There has to be that moment where you're like, this is what it is. How am I going to deal with it? and manage it. And I will say in the past few weeks, what has helped a lot is just meeting more people with it. 
because for 25 years, I knew no one else but me in my age group. No one else, not one other person, except for maybe a girl that I worked, served at the, at the bay or my aunts who I'm like, they got it in their like fifties, you know, sixties, which there are three different points where you can get it at birth and puberty and in, in adulthood. And so it was always like, yeah, but they're older, you know, why did I have to get it in my teens, you know, kind of thing. Come to learn there are people who have had it since they were born. There are people who had it since they were 11. There are people who had it extensively through high school. And the kind of, you know, but you're building your body image around that time, how difficult that must have been. So these are the things that I feel really like, you know, we don't know enough. There are 20 million people diagnosed in the United States, which is more than, what is it, Parkinson's? Um, I just put up this post the other Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, HIV, and one more thing combined. That's more than all those like four things combined that we know quite a bit about. So it's just not something that's talked about. It's not something that's, you know, even covered by insurance. So people's insurance runs out. They can't, they can't get, um, their manual lymph drainage, like things like that, where I'm like, huh, we need to change that. That's something I'm passionate about. So I hope to, you know, get on the ground where that's concerned. What has been your biggest accomplishment? Well, it's so funny. There are different, um, it's like in different phases of life. You know, I would have said Lion King at one point. Then I would have said my master's for sure. For sure, my master's. Um, now I feel like I've moved into another phase, and that is my business. Like, this has been some of the toughest work, learning. You know, it's not necessarily in my wheelhouse, but stepping out in faith by myself and, you know, owning, okay, I'm magic makers, just me, not anybody else. I'm not under anybody else's umbrella. Um, and really owning that and doing it and it's actually like actually happening. I think that's probably, this is probably my biggest accomplishment, you know, because I think it's all encompassing of all the things that I've done. All the other accomplishments have fed into this. And as you know, as an entrepreneur, showing up every single day, no matter what, no matter what. No matter how many people are going to look at your posts, no matter how many, doesn't matter. You still have to show up every single day or your business doesn't exist that day, you know? Um, so I would say, I would say going out solo on my, in, in business is probably my biggest accomplishment. Tired of being tired? Seeking to build your self-confidence. Are you feeling uncomfortable in your skin? It's time to move with Kim. Studies have shown that in this era of exponential growth of the metabolic syndrome and obesity, lifestyle modifications have been proven to be one of the most effective ways to improve your health and quality of life. Let's chat about you, your goals, and how we will get you there. Send your inquiries 
to hello at kimniles.com and let's start conditioning your mental and physical health today. Going back to your master's for a second, why would you say that was after the the failure, let's call it that, in your first going into the first academic course that you chose, but then getting your master's, why does that, what, what has that done for you today? So, so yeah, so I failed, you know, in my early twenties, then went back to school in my early thirties and I got my bachelor degree and that was a big accomplishment. My marks were okay. My marks were just, I skated into that master's program. And that meant, that was, that was because I, and to whoever is listening to this, you know, when you have to compete, you know, I was competing against early people in their early twenties, fresh, straight from high school into their bachelor's, into their master's. So what part of their brain were they utilizing the most? Their academia right? So they were strong in their academia. I was building still. And so I was applying to Ottawa. I flew to Ottawa. I met with them for one hour. I'm not saying it's always feasible, but in this case, I was like, I have to make my case. Like I, she has to know who I am. She has to know one, I'm a mature, mature student Two, you know, different things. And so, and then the master's it just was a different level of, um, I don't know. It, it, it was more challenging. It was more. It was just a more challenging um, journey overall. So it was the work. It was being. A, it was being in Ottawa away from my now husband. Um, it was being away from my friends. Like I wasn't in my friend group, you know, um, or friend age group even. It was doing a 400 hour, um, what do you call it? Uh, when you do like an internship, but anyway, like uh, we had like a 400 hour, um, requisite in our, in our masters. And so I had to do that. That was very, very hard because I was working with athletes and that athletics was in my wheelhouse. The arts was my wheelhouse. Very difficult, but great. So when, and when I came out of that with all A's, one A plus and one B, which is not what I went into my master's with, like I literally skated in just at the 70% mark, right? So that for me was an accomplishment. Like I did it and I did it well. I worked so hard on that. You know, I really worked hard. I really poured like blood, sweat and tears into that. And so for me, I would say, look, like I flunked, when I say I flunked out, I saw an F for the first time in my life on a report card in my early 20s. Like I stood there in shock. And this was back when you used to see your stuff posted on a wall, not on the internet. Like you'd have to go to the classroom and see, see your, your mark. And I, I kept, I kept scanning from my name to the F, my name to the, cause I'm going, no, no, no. They put the F on the wrong line. That can't be me. There's no way. And so it's just to say that you can fail. I'm not suggesting that you seek to fail, <laughs> but if it so happens that this is what happens in your life, it does not mean that it's the end of the road for you. 
it does not mean that you should not get up and try again. It does not mean that you should just give up. It may not have been your time to do that thing that you thought you should have been doing in that time. And that's what it was for me. I would never have probably not, I probably would not have succeeded in academia because I needed to be on the stage at that point. Like that was my time to be on the stage. Do you believe that you've tapped into your authentic self? Mm -hmm. Even more so in these past few weeks. Yeah. It's funny that you asked that because that's how I came to be on this lymphedema journey. Because I said out loud to my husband and to one of my best friends that I think I'm a pretty authentic, like I, I live my life in a pretty authentic way. Like I could be speaking to you. I could be speaking to John Tory. I won't sound much different than this. I am who I am. This is what you get, right? But I recognized that I was living with this condition and not talking about it and being very like precious with it, not in a bad way, but just like a self-protection kind of thing. And I had to check, ask myself, like, what is that about? Um, One of my best friends was being quite open about some stuff that she was going through on like her Instagram. And I just, I, I thought, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that thing. That thing that's making people connect with her. Every time she talks about her condition, people connect with her on a much more personal and real level. And I'm not doing that. I am sort of like, I do talk about things and I do mention lymphedema, but I don't mention the degree to which it has impacted my life. I don't mention the pain. I don't mention you know, the times where I'm embarrassed to leave a function because I've been standing for three hours and I'm not sure if my shoe's going to go back on in three hours. Like I don't, I don't talk about those things. And I kid you not, I said, I think I need to share my story. And probably a couple weeks later is when I was listening to something on um, YouTube and the person said, oh, Cam, this is, he was in the Bachelorette, Bachelor franchise. So I was watching a recap. Yeah, it's our guilty pleasure. But I was watching a recap of <laughs> Bachelor in Paradise. And um, the person goes, oh, Cam's wearing a, t- a shirt. It says, I've got lymphedema, Google it. And I sort of perked up, like, I've got lymphedema. He has lymphedema. What? You know, I looked him up. I mess. I followed him that night. He followed me the next morning. I messaged him a couple hours later. We're chatting. We're friends. He's introducing me to a whole community. I'm sharing my story. I'm hearing other people's story. Now I feel fully authentic. Like people actually know who I truly who know who I am. You know, whereas I felt like that ninety percent before. I remember when I saw you posted the story, I believe on your Instagram, you said, should I post about this? Yeah. Or I'm opening up about it. And I thought, oh, and I think that's something that we all sometimes have, I'm going to say shame mm-hmm. around is our story. And really yeah. our story is what helps us to connect to other humans on, uh, on, our, on, the, on that authentic level. 
because that's truly who we are. But there's this little thing inside of us that tends to get us feeling like, oh my God, if I show that I'm different, will people still accept me? Will they look at me differently? And I remember I was scrolling through and I saw that and I stopped. Mm. And sometimes we try to, and I do it too. I am so guilty of it. We Mm. try to look so perfect Mm-hmm. And it's in our imperfect state that people yeah. will actually be more drawn to us because that shows that we are, we too are human. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, it, I did mention it in other posts, but I didn't go, I didn't go deep enough. Um, and, and I think my, more of my concern was like the coach clients that whole thing and then I was like no that's just a thing in my head that's not like that's not like an actual thing that's going to deter people from wanting to work with me that's that's my own stuff that I need to work through and once I did I was like oh yeah like we're flying here this is amazing and by the way today's we are speaking on world lymphedema day oh yeah yeah exactly so it's it's like perfect yeah so a great segue into my next question. What has your ego taught you? Mm. Um, oh my gosh. How much it can hold me back. How much it can get in my way. Um, yeah. Like how much um, that place that I talk about that needs to be courageous, that needs to be all in full out that I don't, you don't reach there when the ego's in the mix, right? So, um, and, and I guess that's why maybe my ego didn't come in to play as much in my performing, but certainly in life and certainly in like my, you know, relationships and stuff like that for a long time um, until I started doing work um, on myself, like on my, my NET that I now practice, I started as a client. Um, and that really helped me to tap into some of the deep seated subconscious reasons why I would not want to do something or want to do something. My ego has taught me that there's a place for everything, but she often gets in the way of me living my full out, most expressed life, you know, where I'm showing up in love, showing up in you know, being open, um, being gracious, all of those things. The ego can really take you away from that. And so, yeah, in order to tap into that deeper place, the ego kind of has to take a, take a backseat. In being a mental performance coach, tell us a little bit more about emotional intelligence and what that mm. actually means. So... So there's intelligence and there's, you know, there's like intelligence and emotional intelligence. There is, um, and I think the ego and emotional intelligence kind of clash. Like I feel as though when ego is at the forefront, it sort of can negate your emotional intelligence. You know, emotional intelligence requires you to be, there's like a kind of, um, capacity to to be humble in a sense um to know yourself to be able to see the sides of yourself that aren't necessarily wonderful which ego does not want you to see right um 
And so, you know, you have to be able to say, look, um, for as an example, yeah, I messed up. I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt you, but I did. And, you know, that's different than why are you hurt? Like, well, you know, I didn't mean that that's ego, you know? And so it's important in order to be able to look at yourself in order to be able to be humble in situations in order to be able to improve. Like how else are you going to improve if you can't actually be objective about who you are? That's emotional intelligence is being able to be to own that and be like, yeah, like I'm not, I'm an, I'm an imperfect person and that's okay. Like that's part of what makes me who I am. That's part of what feeds into the way I function in the world. And that's what's going to help me grow, you know? And I think emotions are so highly underrated, you know, being emotional, expressing your emotions, um, you know, you have to be able to acknowledge that, okay, I'm angry. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not angry. And I'm not also not going to sit in my anger for like days on end. But my anger is showing me something, you know, my hurt is showing me something. My shame is showing me. These are all things that are there to inform you of what is happening in a situation so that you can make an informed decision about the situation right? And then you move into the next phase of, okay, I, this is what I'm feeling. I acknowledge that. And it's okay. I'm going to feel this for a moment. Now, what can I do now? How can I move past the situation and potentially not go down that road again, or not encounter this again, you know? So I think there's beauty in, and I know, you know, especially coming from West Indian background, like how many times you're told you know, well, don't cry or don't, you know, these kinds of things. And it's like, well, no, if you feel to cry, cry. That's how you're feeling right now. If you're crying for days on end, then let's talk about it, right? Let's, let's get you some help. But if in this moment you're feeling an emotion, that's okay. And it's also okay to talk about it and be like, hey, I'm feeling this, you know? So. That is definitely so true within the Caribbean culture that emotion is not, it's, you, you're taught to tuck your emotions under the rug. Yeah. Expressing yourself is definitely not at the forefront of our culture at all. Yep. You know, yep. it's like, you know, you, you get a little spanking and it'll be like, let me hear you say something. And it's yep. like, you know, it's, it's crazy to, yeah. to know that, you know, expressing yourself, you were taught that you had to just repress that. Stifle it. Yes, cipher Yes, cipher it. You want something to cry for? Exactly. Um, pretty <laughs> no sure. Question. <laughs> pretty sure I'm. It's a valid reason for me crying right now, but it's okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, Diana. What is your deepest fear? Um, gosh, if you had asked me this like a few months ago, it would have been that I wouldn't be successful in my business, maybe more than a few months ago. But I think that has changed where it's like, there's no, there's no option than to be, than for this to be, you know, I you kind of move into that place of like, no, no. If like the same thing I was saying about school, if you put one foot in front of the other, it's going to happen. The problem happens when we 
fail, quote unquote. And I like to say failure is part of the pro like it's it's you need to embrace the failure. It's part of the process. When you haven't embraced the failure and you fail and then you run away, that's when you're not gonna have success. Um I suppose not um not accomplishing everything I was put on this earth to accomplish. That would be like if, you know, if at the end of knock on wood, the end of my life, you know, I want to be able to say, yep, I danced when I was supposed to dance. I went back to school. I got my, you know, I, I used the gifts that God gave me. I used my voice for good. I used my gifts to, to educate, entertain, teach, whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think that would be, if I were to, if I were to say something would be to have that kind of regret. So that's why I try to pull out, pull out. How do you react when you begin to feel yourself becoming vulnerable? Um, it depends. If I'm vulnerable and safe, I sort of turn into a, like a, like a kitten. <laughs> if I'm vulnerable and I don't feel safe, I turn into a lioness. Two ends of the spectrum. And I always say that I'm both things. I've got this very like that sensitive kitten side and I've also got that like rah, side you know which is which feeds into my into my who I am you know so I think that's how it would show up um yeah if I feel if I feel safe and vulnerable it's it's I just kind of melt into it you know on uh, vulnerable and unsafe I'm like rah, you know so because you know you go into that protection mode you that fight or flight mode and each of us has a way you know of being in that self-defense stance and yeah because I know like as you said if you if you look at a child I love seeing kids little kids you know because you see their essence you see exactly who they are before they go through all the experiences that are going to whittle them down or make them, you know, shape this way as opposed to this way, you know, before the world gets its hands on us as people, you see the essence in children. And I'm sure if you look back, like you think of yourself as a, as a child who talked a lot and had all this energy, right? You can probably tap right back into that person. That person's always there within, within you. And within me, it was like fighting for, you know, big cousin who was told she couldn't go out. And I, rah, 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 I'm fighting for her. But you, you can't even do anything. What are you? Be quiet. Be quiet. But always that kind of championing for people. Um, when it had nothing to do with me, it's like, what? You, what what's happening? You know, um, talking a lot, you know. Also, the also being so so sensitive. So when you look at that, when you look at your essence as a kid, I and I like to keep a picture of myself as like about two years old, two three, just to remember who that little girl was, because sometimes you 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 don't feel like showing up for yourself. But when I look at her, I'm like, oh yeah, oh I remember her. She was spirited and strong, and strong willed and outspoken, and she didn't take crap. And then the world gets a hold of you. And suddenly you become like chiseled here and chiseled here and whittled down here and whittled down there. And you become this diminished version of yourself. 
But that little girl is always there, you know? And I've learned to tap back into her and remember, no, no, no. Remember who you are. Remember your voice, you know? What would your message be to your younger self? I think my message would be, you know, your voice is your power. And people will know that and want to silence you. But you don't be, you don't be silent. You keep expressing yourself. You keep letting God, the universe, guide you. And don't you ever be quiet. Don't you ever allow yourself to be silenced, I should say. Because I did for many years. Just became this diminutive version of myself until I caught myself and was like, whoa, what's happening here? That's not you, you know? And that's when I started tapping into that little, the little girl, you know? And, um, and so I would say to her, don't, don't let yourself be silent. You were given gifts and talents and there's purpose for those gifts and talents and they must be expressed, you know? So don't let yourself be silenced is what I would say. And you are loved and you are loved. I would tell her that. I would tell her that. Ayanna, you are a beautiful spirit. Aww, you genuinely you. are. And you shared so much of yourself today. And I would say the best part for me today with you is that the fact that you fully come into yourself to share your story around lymphedema, because so many people, as we've come to know, is suffering with this uh, disease and also other diseases that we are so sometimes yes. so ashamed of speaking about. So yes. thank you for being so vulnerable and opening up yourself today and sharing your journey with us. And as we leave out, I would love for you to share your final thoughts with our viewers. My final thoughts are, and my wish for you all who are listening, is that you will live your life full out. That you will find the courage to tap into all of your God-given gifts and skills and talents. And that you will discover the purpose that is meant for them so that you can live, so that you can bless the world. So that you can bless the world because the world, and, and you see it all the time, the world needs you. That's why you're here. The world needs you, right? And making sure that you believe that. Because when you believe that, there's no stopping you. So please, live your life full out. It's the only way to feel fulfilled. You've been listening to the Make Your Mark podcast. You can visit our website and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at makeyourmark.ca. And please subscribe, rate, and review.